Peter, I guess it's time to play the game. That's what Triple H says. That's his catchphrase. It's time it's to time play, to the, play game. the game. Yeah. We uh we had a little TikTok explosion. <laughs> we did. What what uh it's really beautiful to me because, you know, I'm kind of a Celine Dion figure in that I said I would just show up and talk and you would do everything. But we're gonna do something together now. So we will be launching the Patreon this week. Are you ready for that? I am. Uh, we are still seeking sponsors for the fo- for the podcast, but we're hoping that this will offer a little bit of a uh, a deeper look into what we're doing. We're going to have a lot of extra content and videos and mini-sodes, and you're going to get stuff early. So I hope going forward you will love being a part of the Weekend at Effie's Patreon. We're going to do uh, just a small amount to start and get people in, but it's going to be a lot of stuff that I hesitate to tweet or would uh, hesitate to put together. And I even did some extra filming this week, Peter. This episode's going to be a doozy. I'm like sitting here trying to process. I mean, we we had a new moon, and I don't really know what that means, but I felt it everywhere. I just realized Effie behind a paywall is going to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no rules for Effie behind a paywall. I will show you the world. I can show you the world. Probably no butthole, though. I think... We're going to pause on the butthole portion of my career. Yeah, that's like, we're going to not show butthole. You do know. people do that on Patreon? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's okay. like, uh, it's you know, they do it on TikTok too, Peter. I don't think we need to go in that direction to blow up again. But thank you if you saw us on TikTok, if you followed, if you're a new listener to the podcast. I'm Effie. I'm a pro wrestler. I don't say that that often here. I make the assumption that if you got here, you somehow already know what's happening, which, you know, it's good, but we're, we might miss some people out there because there are a lot of people finding out about Effie for the first time. I forget this. That's a, a Stan Lee thing. He said every comic book is someone's first comic book. Wow. And you know what? That guy's seen a lot of comic books. He came up with Spider-Man, with the other Spider-Man, with the Spider-Man in an armor suit, with the Spider-Man that's from that planet that he talks like this. He's Venom or whatever. That Spider-Man, uh, Rhinoceros Man, Green Goblin Man. I mean, this guy's seen all the comics and he's right. You can't assume people have that backlog. I was even hearing about how, you know, Comics can affect people's lives in a lot of ways, and we look to these heroes much like people looked to the gods. And so I hope that if people are looking to me to inspire them, that they don't look too hard, but they look hard enough because I think I can be inspirational if I need to. If you're new, welcome. I'm Effie. I have a perspective on things. And this weekend, I had some growing to do. Sometimes you don't know what you're entering. You don't know what you're getting into, but as of Friday, I was not having fun, Peter. I was having a pretty rough week, and I was you know, second-guessing everything. It's probably going to retire. No, I'm not going to retire. But, you know, you kind of have those days where you're like, what am I doing? Like, what's going on here? Where does this go? Where does this lead? Where do we, you know, where do we go to next? And I think I had a lot of my questions answered for me, kind of both directly and indirectly. And like you said, you know, hey, Effie, you're going to be dealing with a lot of old timers from your business. You're going to be running into them. Boy, did I run into a plethora of people who knew who I was this weekend, who... I uh, gotta be honest, I would never expect them to know who I am. And there's so much more. This is why I realized like we're tell all on the podcast as much as I can tell. And there's still room for things to be discussed at an alternate time uh, with, with events behind us so we can reveal even more information. So one day we'll turn the podcast into an audio book and we'll go back through everything and get it very, people don't read anymore, Peter. No. I 
I suggested books to the locker room the other day, and they looked at me like I was offering them PCP. I was like, here's some books you guys might like. They're like, what are you talking about? People don't read anymore. So I'm not going to put my heart and soul into a book if people aren't even going to read. I'm just going to go straight to the audio book like Megyn Kelly or who? what was her name? What's the girl who's related to the the evil, the emperor? Uh, is it is it McCain's daughter? Oh, oh, Megan McCain? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one from The View? Yeah. Yeah, she, she was like, the audiobook's out for people who didn't get the special edition book. And there was like 40 people bought the special edition book. So like six people heard her talk about herself on her audiobook. That's not what I'm looking for, you know? I don't want to be the heel on The View and then not sell any books. I want to sell the books. I want people to want to read them. So we'll just make it so they can listen to it. That's we are talking about famous people's children. That's a really, really odd example of a famous person's <laughs> Yeah, child. and kind of just to sell it to you, you know, what we were talking about is like when you have a very famous parent and they have given you all the money and security you need and you kind of have the opportunity to just jump into whatever you like and whether it's successful or not, you just get to do whatever you want and you don't really have to seek the attention of the public. I think that where these celebrity children make the mistake is they want the same uh, accolades and uh, praise from the public as their parents instead of just going and doing what they like. So they start seeking that validation from the public. It's usually a dark path. You know what I mean? Learned a lot about Christian Brando the other day. That was a rough, that was a rough time. Oh, God. Yeah. It's a whole, it was a whole scandal. You know? Do you, does his family still own that island? Well, I don't know because they're mostly dead. So I want to know who. I'm sure there's some weird connection somewhere of somebody we know. Like somehow Sissy Spacek ended up with the island just because she knew some secrets. You know what I mean? Like it's it's possible, but I don't think any of the direct Brandos are still in ownership of an island. I can't imagine the economics of that uh, of being able to pay the taxes on an island every year from the Brando collection. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't understand how much Brando money is actually out there. I heard stories of people going to the island when he was there and they had like a little resort or something and they said it was very basic. I would imagine once you buy the island, you don't really have a lot of time for the, the home goods decorating tour. You know, uh, I drove to Nashville this weekend and the reason for this event, this is what's weird because if I don't pay attention, I don't realize why we're drawing so many people and I have to be a little honest. I joked one time in an airport with an NXT superstar. He said, where are you going? I said, the same place you are, but I'm going to eat your crumbs. I didn't even realize SummerSlam was in Nashville. I was just like, it's Ric Flair's last match. Everybody's going to be there for that. It turns out SummerSlam is also there and they were filling an arena. Well, most of an arena. The part of the arena that would be seen on TV, they filled up. And this would be the first pay-per-view under the... Hunter Hearst Helmsley of Triple H. You get it? Helm? Like he's helming the pay-per-view? It doesn't matter. Um, Brother Love again. I love... You brought this up. The TikTok that went viral of me being a conspiracy theorist over professional wrestling, which who would have guessed that would really get people fired up. They were really surprised you did not know who Brother Love was. Yes. Well, don't worry. There's only 700 episodes of him on three-hour podcasts talking about his history career as a producer and agent, if you'd like to get into the brother love experience. Yeah, there's plenty to listen to. I drove to Nashville for this, and I don't typically drive, Peter, as you know, but I knew that where my mind was, I, you know, the flight Atlanta to Nashville, pretty easy. I wanted to have a car. I wanted to not be in anyone else's control. I needed to be separate. I needed to be my own thing. There's going to be a lot going on. Like, you have to mentally prepare for something like this. From the moment... From the moment you arrive, 
to the moment you leave, you are there's not any moment of privacy, not a single moment of privacy, unless you like take a poop in the hotel in the downstairs lobby bathroom where you can lock the door, which is usually filled with people who are doing the same thing. So there's no break. Having that car there became sort of a solace position. It was the uh, reconvening zone. But I arrived and I knew that I had to get right to it. I got there even a little later than I expected. And everybody was already in town. They'd flown in the day before. So everybody's going, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I finally got there in the middle of the Black Label Pro show. So there's a lot of people watching wrestling. I thought, okay, good. There's a show going on. I'll be able to get in really easy and nobody will see me. Not true. Uh, it still took me like roughly an hour to cross the room. And the show that we were doing was after the Black Label show, after the Ric Flair roast. It did not even start till 10.30 p.m. And we're in central time. So I'm already going like, this is going to be a long day. It's going to be hectic. I've got a bleed probably because I'm fighting Los Macizos. I'm fighting SGC. But I got in. I had my moment. I disappeared when I needed to. And by Friday night, the place was packed the fuck out. We put the belts on the line. And I'm just going to get right to it, Peter. Uh, Bussy did not retain those belts. Bussy lost in that ring. And it was not because of Alley Catch. And it wasn't even our SGC brothers that pinned me. I was hit with a moonsault. While the man was holding a bunch of glass light tubes. And that crushed me. But I kicked out. And then 450 from the top onto the shards of glass. When your belly is exposed. And there's a man jumping on top of you. And there's glass in between you and the man. You're having a lot of thoughts of is my, is my gut open and is my intestines in the ring. And so in that quick three seconds where they are pinning you to the mat. Your concern isn't even really on the fact that you're being pinned, nor do you even realize you're being pinned because you're like, am I bleeding out all over this ring? I was not. I have very thick skin, I'm learning. There was glass in my chest hair all night. There was glass in my pantyhose. There was glass in my knee pads. I popped a piece of glass out of my knee today like it was a zit. I pushed it and popped a piece of glass out of my knee. And I'm going to myself, I'm thinking to myself, you did it for the year, okay? You did your glass. You know, it's fine. Save that for whoever else wants to be in the survival tournaments and the death blasts or whatever they are. Uh, we'll get back to that. <laughs> I was incorrect. It looks like there's going to be some blood and glass in my future, and we'll figure out how. Now, I had been discussed as a potential opponent for someone within GCW, and from what I had understood, all discussions into moving that into a match with a contract, which means it's going to happen, it's signed by both parties, they stalled completely. And you can kind of guess at what this match is, and we'll discuss it later. But the whole night I have to be around this man, John Moxley. And I said it on Twitter, but I want to say it here. The 12 Rounds film franchise. Are you familiar at all with the 12 Rounds film franchise? I am not. 12 Rounds 1, I'm pretty sure it was John Cena. And he had 12 rounds, and he had to, like, save the oh, world. Oh, is this when they were trying to make movies? Yes. And boy, I think they still are. Uh, See No Evil starring Kane. Glenn Jacobs, a piece of shit. See No Evil starring Kane. Pretty crazy. And They, they should have put John Cena in that, and it could have been Cena No Evil. Cena No Evil. <laughs> Fuck Kane. I hope they can replace him with Cena in the movie. There's no way they have the budget for that now. The movie Ouija was an actual WWE Films production. And there are no wrestlers in this movie. But the movie Ouija, if you saw this, it is a WWE Films production. Pretty good horror film. Really enjoyed it. Shouldn't have been Weird. that good. I'm not saying it's like, you know, hereditary is up that there for one? me. 
It's like they're one that did okay. So 12 rounds two, I'm pretty sure 12 rounds two was Randy Orton in an ambulance and he had to save people. Another action movie. But 12 rounds three is like, it's the best diehard. This is the third one. 12 rounds three. They made six 12 rounds movies. I'm pretty sure. They only only got halfway through. They only got halfway through the rounds. (laughs) There's time. 12 rounds three lockdown. Stars at the current time, Dean Ambrose as the John McClane type, which he really does well as a John McClane type. And we've talked about his acting ability here before when he uh, replicated Point Break, except it was starring Dusty and Terry at the 2300 Arena. We can get to that later. 12 Rounds 3 Lockdown starring Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. John Moxley, a.k.a. the GCW World Heavyweight Champion, is one of the best action films I've ever seen. Okay. It has corny throwaway lines. It has crazy action. It's rated R. They go nuts. They're locked down. Like, how is this going to end? Well, let me show you Dean Ambrose and what he's capable of in this tower heist of a film. It's magic. It's perfect. I only bring it up to say that going forward, uh, I will be in the zone about John Moxley, but I don't want anyone to forget that I think that's a perfect film. No matter how hateful I am, no matter how horrible I am, no matter what mind games I play, please don't confuse it. 12 Rounds 3 Lockdown, available on Amazon Prime Video for rental. You still have to pay for it, but I think it's worth your family's time. Gather up people you haven't seen in a long time. You know, you want to have a shared experience? Maybe 12 Rounds 3 Lockdown is the movie for you. It's Dean Ambrose with a gun. Remember The Shield? Wild. Great times. Okay, so after this, typically... It's, you know, party time for the people, but we were pretty beat up and we knew he had a lot going on. And Allie and myself were doing a meet and greet the next day at the actual StarCast event. So we took it home pretty early. We hung out with some people. It was good to have everybody sort of back together. Luckily this time, Bussy did have the champion suite. Even though we lost our belts to Los Macizos, we still had the championship suite. It was beautiful. Uh, We had an extra sofa. Shout out to Big Vin. Shout out to Kaya McKenna as well, but shout out to Big Vin who was with us that night. Those two busted their ass all weekend helping out with Starcast, helping them get rings together, helping them move stuff around, helping them find chairs. They did everything. These are the unseen heroes. You know, I may get slammed around a little bit, but Peter, I didn't have to put the ring together. And someone did. So just know that there's always invisible hands there that are taking everything in. I got a little bit of sleep that night. I was a little still exhausted. I was kind of, huh. And in my head, I'm going, Allie, I know you have this booking later, whatever you're doing, some art show. But I'm going to get through the StarCast signing, and I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to sleep because I have to get ready because Nick Gage comes to me Friday night. And you probably saw this if you saw the show. And said, uh, hey, if you're not going to give us a spot on Ric Flair's last show, which this is something Nick Gage is very fired up about, that I I was sort of neutral on it. You know, do I get the car back a day early? You know, save a little on the rental? Or do I go be a part of Ric Flair's funeral? I don't know. Like, it's, uh, it's kind of up in the air. But if Nick Gage comes to you and says, yo, Effie, I think if we get the boys together, we should invade this show and fuck it up. Uh, Bully Ray will be there. I said, yeah, man. Okay, I'll stay. If Nick Gage is asking, I'll stay. I said, I don't know if I'm going to make it the whole show. But Bussy and myself, Bussy and myself, Allie and myself, Bussy, wake up. There's no Starbucks anywhere near where we are. So we try to go to Panera Bread. Just not good. I just want to say to Panera Bread, who doesn't serve breakfast at a Panera Bread at 11 a.m.? It's Panera Bread. What else do you serve besides breakfast and soup and like what, sad grilled cheese? Fuck off, Panera Bread. Your coffee's not good. 
You were rude to me about breakfast, and I had to eat a chicken sandwich for breakfast before StarCast. Maybe 11 is past breakfast. Maybe I'm being a bitch. But I just would like there to be more Starbucks around. Even the Waffle House was to-go only. I was like, can I just can I just have a cup of coffee and sit down? No, you can't. I said, all right, well, I'll stop putting off the inevitable. We're going to go to the StarCast. When I first did StarCast, it was uh, in Chicago. It was when I fought... Uh, the man himself, the king, the god of this shit, Nick Gage. And I kind of snuck my way onto StarCast. I've stole, I've told that story a few places. This StarCast, I was like, I felt like a celeb. I didn't have to wear a pass anywhere. Everyone knew who I was. And you walk in, and I just want to clear this up with everybody, you know, because I was asked by a lot of people all weekend, you know, some older superstars that I've been in the ring with. And I won't name them. But separately, let me say this. On December 31st, 2021, nobody gave a fuck about Jeff Jarrett. Not one person. No one. You know, maybe Karen on the right night. But on January 1st, 2022... That's that his wife? Yeah. Used, used to be Kurt Angle's wife. Kurt Angle's son has been bullying me. We'll get to that later. January 1st, 2022, Jeff Jarrett hits Effie with a guitar. And now... It's the end of July, and let's just put this into perspective. He has a very highly rated podcast with Conrad Thompson. He is a part of Ric Flair's last match at the Nashville Auditorium, home of Starcade 96. He was the guest referee for the SummerSlam Tag Team Championship match and is now a house show producer for WWE, and it's the first time he's ever looked cool in his whole life. What I'm saying is, if you're a washed-up old dummy superstar who can't bump well and has to be at these star casts with Effie and see how great I am, just know this. No, we don't have any heat heat, okay? I don't, I don't genuinely have heat with anything. There's nothing that could really get me that fired up, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. There's some things that have been getting me fired up, so maybe I'm wrong. But we don't have any heat. But also, I'm not helping you anymore. I'm not helping these old pieces of shit who, who wanted to talk about me forever and ever and how garbage I am and how I beat up children and how I put a dildo in front of someone and, oh, they whip cream out of my ass and this isn't real wrestling because I am the one that's getting you back over in front of an audience that wouldn't give a shit about you, probably still only gives a little bit of a shit about you. And you know that working with Effie, it's going to get over. It's going to work. It's going to be easy and you're not going to get fucked up. So I'm very tired of pretending like I have to be nice to anyone here. Yeah. If you think we have heat, we have fucking heat. If you don't think we have heat, we probably don't because I'm probably not even thinking about you. If I've talked shit about you, it's because of things you've done. It's because of dipshit stuff you do. And it's because you're probably a symptom of a larger problem that includes people who can't get over in wrestling thinking that they know what they're talking about when the ratings across the board are garbage as fuck. So y'all fuck off old people superstars and remember that Effie's in charge now I am the revolution you know what Dark Sheik said to me Peter you look like you were about to say something Peter and I'm starting to get real fired up here no keep going keep going you know what Dark Sheik said to me Peter and I'm gonna pull it up and I'm gonna read it because she said that in America when America goes through times it is reflected in the the superstars that are getting the most over and things often change at a very quick pace in wrestling I mean you see Vince McMahon just retired nobody expected that we expected him to stay until he died on the job Dark Sheik said to me 
I was thinking about wrestling in America and how they support each other in certain ways. In the 80s, there was patriotism and Hulk Hogan. In the 90s, there was the edgy anti-hero that was pushing people into rebelling punk style, and that was Stone Cold Steve Austin. In the 2000s, the people were dealing with spying and government control, which concluded in the McMahon-Helmsley storylines. In the 2010s, we were produced, we were polished, we were reprogramming and reselling ourselves to an audience that was younger, that had kids now, that was bringing America forward, and now we are rebelling. We are punks. We are sick of your shit. We are tired of being told what to do, what the American dream is, and what should happen in our lives. We are tired of being told to have babies. We are tired of being told to what to hold what's important while you can't even let us get into a house because you old fucks won't put us in your will and we can't afford that shit. Effie is the revolution. Effie is the gay now, and Effie is the change. So just understand that you're not just talking to Effie. You're talking to uh, future every Hall of Famer Effie who's going to ride this shit into the big magic sunset. And you know why else I was pretty fucking fired up last week, Peter, now that I'm thinking about it and now that we're here, is I heard a lot of people shit-talking Effie's Big Gay Brunch that we have announced. And it wasn't even people talking shit about Effie's Big Gay Brunch, who should be. It wasn't even like Cletus from fucking Dildoville, Alabama talking shit about Effie's Big Gay Brunch, because I can't even hear that shit. It's people from our own world who are saying, he's, he doesn't have these people booked, he doesn't have those people booked, why aren't they booked? Let me tell you something, Peter. I am booking a gay wrestling show. I'm trying to highlight all facets of the LGBTQ wrestling world. I'm trying to use my fame, my notoriety, my fucking ultimate clout, the kind of clout where people buckle down and they know you've talked shit about them and they still shake your hand. What does everybody want? Head. It's a blowjob joke. We get it, bro. But do not come and tear me down. Because last year, when I had Effie's Big Gay Brunch in Chicago, I wrestled seven matches in five days, and I still had time to book a whole fucking diverse card of wrestlers to come and show their skill from across the board. And this year, oh, I'm showing some fucking wrestling. We're going to have a wild-ass show. We're going to have the people we want to have. We're going to have people from all over the nation. And it's going to be incredible. And if you're bitter and sad that you weren't included, well, then get the fuck over. Don't get over it. Get the fuck over. We're a wrestling show. Effie wants you to sell a couple tickets, even though he's going to sell the majority of them. And I'm fucking sick of hearing people be mad that they're not included, but they haven't done any of the work all year to show me why they should be included. WrestleMania is a culmination of the previous year, not a culmination of what the next year is going to hold. So show me something. Peter, I'm sorry. I got really fired up there. I used to be more of a shit talker, but when I started doing Twitch, I went a little more babyface with my voice, and now I feel like I must be heard. I must be a part of the story. We finished the Sarcast signing, and it was incredible, and I got free toys, and I got to stare at Cesaro from across the room, aka Claudio Castagnoli, and Claudio is now the Ring of Honor champion. Can I tell you about the first time I met Claudio Castagnoli? Please. It was SmackDown. It must have been 2011, maybe 2012, but probably 2011. And I was working set up on this SmackDown, and he was still working with Oksana. And he was speaking all the languages. And he walked by, and I looked, and I said, oh, that's a grown-ass man. That's not a little boy trying to wrestle. That's not a little boy playing wrestler. That's not somebody cosplaying wrestling as a wrestling uh, innovation. This is a grown-ass man, and I just stared at him from across the room while people were lined up and signing with Effie. It was magic. Now, one thing people are going to know that happened. I got to see a copy of my Major Bendy's figure, the Effie official Major Bendy's figure. Very exciting stuff. While this was happening, Peter... 
Sean Rossap of Fightful.com, who is a wrestling journalist, and Bill Batty, who I could only understand is some kind of weird transphobic guy who hangs out with Vince Russo, and I guess wrote for WWE at one point? Don't know. While I'm looking at this beautiful figure, and you can go back to the video and see, it's me, Marcus Mathers, Allie Catch, and Jimmy Lloyd looking over this figure, just vibing, talking. These two grown men are screaming in front of us, screaming at each other about, you're not shit, you're not shit, nobody's shit. And in the background, it's just me looking jacked as fuck in a tank top, I and this figure going, this is so cool. This is awesome. I'm going to have my own action figure. This is incredible. And people started seeing and going, is that like Jimmy, Effie, and Allie, and Marcus in the back just vibing? And the Major Fendi, uh, Major Fendi's, Major Figures, uh, wrestling bendies people put together a brief advertisement that shows like nothing can come between me and my bendies. I want to see the bendy. You guys are going to love this. The version I got to see was hand painted, but it obviously is going to be uh, turned into that as a uh, highly produced machine figure, but it does bend and that's very cool. You can bend Effie. I one time, Peter, and this might be too far for the podcast. I was doing a lot of DDP yoga at the time. And this is pre-me wrestling, so it's still kind of an alcoholic. Of all the acronyms you could have said, I think that was an okay one. Okay, well, this isn't going to be okay. I got very, very flexible, Peter. I'm more flexible than people know, but I got to the point where self-pleasure was an option. And at that point, I had to cut everything off. So I know I'm very bendy, but I had to get less bendy. But if you want to get the bendiest version of Effie, you're going to have to get the Major Brothers, Major Wrestling Bendy figures out around Christmas or a little before. I hope we get a good Black Friday sale on it. I just, I'm trying to cool myself down before I get into the next section. <laughs> I can tell. But I was, I've, you know, being around all these people, it just gets you fired up. And then when you start hearing people going, oh, he doesn't like he doesn't like that. He was talking shit. I probably was. But understand that when I talk shit, Peter, it's just objective. It's not from an emotional place. It's me going, here's something I don't like objectively because it affects the business or affects me in this way. And then I say, I don't like it. And then people take that to heart. But look, we're wrestlers, Peter. Okay, you have to put your complete mind, body and soul into the person who is in the ring doing the character work. But when I get behind the curtain, like just take a fucking chill pill. It's not make believe back here. And I need you to fuck off. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care that you're here. I don't care if you think we have heat. I don't want to be around you. And I'm, I've done my job. You own me from when I walk through the curtain to when I walk back through the curtain. But don't come, don't come bothering me with nonsense at another time or try to corner me at Starcast. <clears throat> okay. We get out and I'm trying to drive away from the venue and I notice, and Peter, I'd say this every week, but the numbers are everywhere. I'm hitting all sorts of numbers. I hit some today. I was looking and I said, well, crazy. Big 888 pops up and I go, okay, let's go down this road. We go down this road. Who do I see except for Adam Abdullah from Orange Crush, Brett, Ashley, and uh, one of their friends, Jay. And we're like, what are you doing over here? And they're like, we're staying at this place right here that's a secret hotel for TikTok people who are famous. And we're going to go get some food. And I said, well, we're trying to go get some food. It was me and Allie. And so they said, park the car. Let's go. Peter, this place, we looked, everybody was dressed like they'd been at a wrestling show all day, right? Like it's, we're not like dressed to the nines. And we walk into this place and I guess, you know, Orange Crush he has a membership here and he's staying at this hotel. They were like, uh, what are you guys doing here? And we were like, we need to be seated. And then they looked up who he was and they were like, oh, right this way, sir. And at first I'm thinking in my head, like, damn, I'm not gonna have time for a nap. But then I'm like, 
but this is sick. Like, this is such a cool place. It's got a pool. We're seated by the pool. They keep bringing appetizers. Everybody's from TikTok. And while this is happening, what's happening, Peter? We're blowing up on TikTok. I'm looking around going, Nashville, all these TikTok people are here. And, you know, like, you got to be pretty hot to get over on TikTok, I think. You know, hopefully I can fall into that caliber. We can figure out the TikTok hotness. But it's the accessorizing of these TikTok stars that makes them really stand out. Because they look kind of as trashy as we do. But you can tell it's an expensive kind of trashy where I'm like, I'm wearing a shirt that's $8 that I bought five years ago. And they're like, this shirt was $800. And it's older than your mother. And it's vintage. And you're like, wow, we both look like shit. I love it. We ate all that food there. I had, I mean, squid and truffle pizza and a lamb ragu with fresh fava beans. Um, I mean, like just stuff where you're like, this doesn't make sense. And after this, I said, Allie, we're not even really going to have time for a nap. We got to go to this thing where I don't even understand what the booking was. That's how confused I was. Let me tell you the name of the booking we went to Saturday night. Everyone else is at SummerSlam. I was offered SummerSlam tickets 30 fucking times. And at this point of being in in just wrestling world and everyone there is from wrestling and everything is wrestling, I was like, I can't, I don't know if I can do it. And she said, well, this is, let me explain it to you. It's a karaoke fight party with a storyline called um, Princess Daddy's Karaoke Fight Party. Okay. And your eyes just blew up. Beautiful. This apparently is an event that has gone on before or will go on again. I'm not entirely sure. It is hosted by the one and only Princess Daddy, who is 100% that bitch. Allie shows up, and she has been booked. This is why I love my sister, Allie Catch. If I take a booking, I'm like, if I don't get hurt, it doesn't count, right? She said, no, I'm just the special guest of honor, and if I want to do karaoke, I can't. We have the full video. I think she's going to put it on her Patreon. She goes up and sings the entirety of the Tom Cruise Top Gun Lady Gaga song and just eats it, crushes it. She's doing Gaga choreography. She's doing spin rolls. She's holding everyone's hands. And just like the magnetism of Alley Catch and being a part of Bussy and being get to, to get to be around her charisma and the magic that she puts out, it is a blessing. And that I think was kind of the turn for me of what started was just going like, I get to spend time with this talented magic individual. We get to put together our art together. We're both former viola players, which is weird, right? It's weird. Really weird. Yeah. The pansexual viola player, pretty common trope. (laughs) She takes no shit, but she finds joy in everything. And she really put, her whole heart into performing this song and she was like no book no bump booking i've got to do it luckily manders also showed up to this because if manders and his girlfriend Brittany had not showed up i would have said to myself no one's gonna believe that this event happened right and i'm sitting here they keep bringing me diet coke we of course ate a plethora of edibles before this i'm gonna try to describe this the best i can it was the most magical queer wrestling show. Like I offered to just give them Effie's big gay brunch. Cause I'm tired of hurting people's feelings. If I don't book them, I, I was like, do you guys just want to have my gay wrestling show? Because this show was set up to where the storyline rolled together between fights and duets and theater monologue. And the whole story is built around princess daddy, uh, choosing her best boy and best girl. And her new best boy is going to beat up her old best boy because her old best boy is turning into a bad boy. And they have a battle and they sing and they do monologues. But then, Peter, then they walked into the room 
And we are talking about none other. Um, I want to get the name right. Big Baby. Big Baby? Big Baby reminded me of who the fuck I was. Because Big Baby was giant and queer and in platform shoes and ripped fishnets and leather and a corset and a big blonde mohawk and mascara running down Big Baby's face. And Big Baby had a lot of points to make. Big Baby and Princess Daddy used to run the towns. All right. Big Baby's been there for the coffin matches, the ladder matches, carrying Princess what are Daddy. Matches? Well, the coffin match is a match, Peter, where you have to beat your opponent so much that you can lock them inside of a coffin without them being able to escape. So you have to destroy them so hard that they allegedly would be buried alive in that coffin if you could trap them in it. So a little different than a buried alive match. A coffin match, you just have to get in the coffin. The buried alive match, you have to put them in the coffin and close it and then bury them under the dirt. We should watch some of these together. There's some good ones yeah. going back. We'll talk about The Undertaker in a minute. This show goes on, and it is, I mean, there's fights, there's this, and it, and it culminates in them all singing Celine Dion. If you touch me like this, if I hold you like that. It's all coming back to me, Peter. And it was a big, there was stabbing too, which is how I knew we were in the right place. There were stabbings going on. There were neon ninjas flipping through the air. There was Princess Daddy looking hot and fine. Big baby running his mouth. It was a magical, crazy version of wrestling and music and theater that should exist. And the people in that room were not wrestling fans. They weren't sad they were missing SummerSlam. They just heard there was going to be a wild, crazy karaoke fight battle party hosted by Princess Daddy. And Allie Catch was going to be there. And they don't even know. Who knows? And she busts out that song. And they perform this whole thing. And I'm stoned as a bone. And I'm going, you know what? Wrestling is what we make it. I'm in charge of wrestling now. You know, I, I tell myself that I've been on a constant grassroots election campaign for eight, nine years at this point, and there's no election coming and there's nothing around the corner and it just keeps going. But now that I'm in charge of wrestling, I feel like it is of my uh, destiny and it is of my uh, power to keep making it as gay as I want to make it, to keep making it as wild as I want to make it. I mean, listen, we've got big things on the horizon globally. I mean, I'm going to be over in England, be over possibly in Japan, <laughs> maybe. So seeing this FE growth and seeing what's coming, it's nice to have a little pushback from everyone, but it's also the pushback that reminds you that the bigger you get, the more access they'll have to hate a raid. And folks, Effie's Big Gay Brunch is going to be bigger and gayer and weirder. And I'm going to trust my gut and I'm going to put the right people in there. And we're going to have the most ridiculous wrestling show of the weekend. But Bussy is not done. And so I hope going forward that we'll see with the War Games match ahead that uh, maybe, maybe we find our way into a cage. Maybe we find our belts back. There may be another belt in the future, though, Peter. I'll get to that at the end because I have to kind of chronologically do things. After that, we all hung out a while, ended up going to sleep. You see, I'm taking it. I was taking a protection of self in these moments, and I knew we were feeling weird. Everybody with the new moon, it was just a little off. We were still having a great time. But Sunday was the big day. And when I was initially told that I was to I was to be a part of this show, like I said, Peter, the Ric Flair's last show at the Nashville Auditorium, home of Starcade '96, uh, I said no, and I said I don't want to be there. 
And I said, I've got to go home anyway. And whatever other excuse I could come up with. Because uh, Ric Flair's hurt a lot of people. Ric Flair's not always been a good person. Ric Flair's older now. Uh, and as much as his legacy has left a very heavy print on wrestling, there's still you're still kind of... Who knows? You feel weird. And I was trying to be in control of my narrative, if you will, and trying to be in control of things. But when I got there and I saw that my my homies were there, my homies got to be involved too. Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, Big Manders, Jimmy Lloyd was hanging out. We had Gringo Loco there, Commander, my new amigo. I love Commander so much. We talk about Commander every week. He keeps being just the sweetest boy of all. Uh, and my Spanish is getting somewhat better because in having that match with Los Macizos, even though they were beating us up and we were all over the place and it's a triple threat tag match, uh, I did get to use Spanish a few times in the Los Macizos train to kind of make things work. So I'm getting there, but I'm not really putting the effort in. Shout out, Commander. And uh, even Adam Priest was there, and that was pretty cool. And we're the young guys, you know. But you get in this place and you go, there's immediately no pressure on you. Because you realize that nothing that's happening in this room is about you. As long as you just show up to the position you're supposed to show up to and kind of be unnoticeable and don't cause a scene, nobody's even going to care that you were there or know that you were there. There are people who care that you were there. They want you a part of it. But they don't care. You know, like, it's not about you. Like, it's not, you know, your part. So, of course, the GCW Outlaws, we find this weird spot under a ramp staircase where no one else is. Uh, I will say this. People have often said, like, Brett doesn't give us enough snacks or whatever at the GCW shows. He has given me water and snacks and juices and candies and fruits. Uh, and I couldn't even find a bottle of water at Ric Flair's last show. That's how low on the card we were. We were on the, the YouTube free pre-show. Uh, and what ended up happening, I will say this, getting to meet Jeff Jarrett's dad. I got to meet Jeff Jarrett's dad and Jeff Jarrett's personal trainer. And I even had a moment where I spoke to Jeff Jarrett and I want to clear up things here and I don't want to get into our private conversations. I don't think that's fair, but I want to say that back in Memphis, they would run stories for three or four years. So you're welcome to come back whenever you want, old man. But it was kind of nice to see Jeff Jarrett having to carry someone older than him because you're going like, how does it feel, old man? He was bumping like a motherfucker more than he should and he was wearing his little shorts again. So I don't know. It it was a little... Maybe he's not done. Maybe we're not done. I don't know. But I got to see Karen. Karen was lovely. No heat with Karen. She's a wonderful person. She offered me some Carabas. That was nice. I got to meet uh, Jeff's father, the incomparable Jerry Jarrett, who's known uh, more Wait, famously. His name's Jerry Jarrett? Yeah. What is, what is wrong with this family? Uh, he has a really good chicken salad recipe that you should ask him about. Uh, that I'm not going to get into here. Does the rest of his family have J names? I don't know, but the double J thing works, doesn't it? It's really funny. I also this weekend got to meet Jeff Jarrett's original trainer, okay? Apparently, Tom Falk. Because Jerry Jarrett was a promoter. He was not a wrestler. And so Jeff had to learn it from someone. Okay. Jerry just used to promote Memphis and... Uh, Jerry Lawler was promoted under Jerry Jarrett, who is Jeff Jarrett's dad. Okay, it doesn't matter. Memphis, what a fucking place. Uh, There's a reason Elvis is still alive there, because he just wants to see what happens in the Jarrett family dynasty. He was a big Memphis fan. I love seeing Jerry Lawler out there. God, the colonel said I could even cheer for him. I'm sorry. Uh, I I got to see The Undertaker, which is so fucking weird. He's a giant. And... Being a part of the bunkhouse was sick. I did get eliminated by Bully Ray, but Bully Ray is someone who 
when I beat up that girl, when I choke slammed Izzy and then got beat by her, she pinned me. He was real pissed because he knew Izzy pretty well. And they, you know, she had been on the radio show with him before. And he's a real old school guy who he doesn't even want women in the match because he doesn't think it's believable, which is, you know, dumb as fuck. I've seen plenty of women that could kick Bully Ray's ass. And I'm sure they have if he tried to. Well, he suggested that I be a part of the famous Dudley Boy spot called Was Up, where one of us is up on the top rope, one of us is on the bottom, and he holds the legs open, and Devon Dudley used to do it. He would jump headfirst into their crotch. Now, technically, he was attacking their inner thigh, so he wasn't, you know, wink, wink, I'm not attacking their nuts. I saw Crowbar up on the top rope, and if you're familiar with Effie, and maybe you're familiar with Crowbar, he was a WCW superstar, he was in the game WCW Backstage Assault, I think, uh... He once famously tweeted a gif of Effie saying that he would never sell my crotch chops to the face. He would never sell that move. And now I found myself (laughs) in a battle royal on the ground and he'd beat me up a little. And I said, why don't I go fuck up his life? So I ran up and I kicked Crowbar in the face and he nutted himself on the top rope. And then I hopped up on the second. I said, this is my moment. And I humped Crowbar so hard that he fell out to the floor and was eliminated from the match. I like long-term storylines, Peter. And the long-term storyline between Effie and Crowbar says, I just humped your ass out of the bunkhouse match. Good luck and good night. But I found myself turning around into a position, not even realizing why Crowbar was up top on the rope, looking in the eyes of Bully Ray. And I said, well, I never thought I'd be here. And I stood up, and we looked each other in the eyes, and we both screamed out the Budweiser Super Bowl commercial classic, and then I jumped very high in the air and landed my face straight in the wiener of Ricky Shane Page, and I left my face there a few minutes. I just stayed. I got up. I did the big Devon spin, testify, and I crossed my cross. And Bully Ray looked at me, a little confused at first, the people on their feet, excited, waking up. And he slammed my chest and he said, Effie, get the tables. Because back in the day, after you did a was up, it was time for the 3D, where we jump a man into the air and make him get cuttered through a table. And that's never getting kicked out of, pal. So I got excited. I forgot I was in a battle royal. Saw one of my teen heroes telling me to do the move that I'd seen hundreds of time on ECW and WWE and WWF. And I started going for that table, and I got slobbered out of the ring. (laughs) Bully Ray tricked me, and he threw me out of the ring, and I was eliminado in that moment. But the hope was still there, because the GCW invasion that came into that bunkhouse match, led by Nick Gage, saying, where's my gang at? Because they would not let him say, where's my motherfucking gang at? His gang was us, and it was all the people in the audience, and they chanted GCW, and Mance Warner won the Jim Crockett Promotions Bunkhouse Brawl on Ric Flair's last match, and we all got to celebrate on the stage with the Jim Crockett Promotions background. And I didn't win, but I won. And I looked around at this arena of 8,000 people where lots of wrestling history has happened, and I love not feeling weird being in front of that many people, but I also love knowing that I don't feel weird. Like, I love the feeling of knowing that it doesn't feel weird to be out in front of that many people. When I walked out at Hammerstein, I said, this feels right. And when I stood on that stage and saw all those people, I said, this feels right. And when the people all got up and cheered was up with us, and I nutted that man right in the face, 
with my face, right in the nuts with my face, I knew that uh, the journey was just beginning. And, you know, first they ignore you, Peter, and then they ridicule you, and then they attack you, and then they say, what's up with you as you do a tag team maneuver to Ricky Shane Page? And I was honored and glad to be there for this moment. I got to see a lot of people. I even had a brief conversation with Nick Aldis. And Nick Aldis owns the NWA with Billy Corgan. I haven't often been nice about Billy Corgan here or anywhere, and I won't. But Nick Aldis was very respectful. And do I believe... Wait, the Smashing Pumpkins guy? Yeah, yeah, he owns the NWA. Have we not talked about this? It's slightly ringing a bell, but also weird. It's very weird. He bought the NWA. He likes awkward shit. He's sort of like if if David Lynch didn't have anyone to help with cinematography, where it's just you're just like, what do you? None of this makes sense, man. It's got to make sense at some point. And he's like, it won't. It won't. Remember that song I did? Time is never time. No, never. never. You got to keep going higher, Billy. You can't. You can't stop singing in the middle of the song. Believe in me. He's from another planet, though, so we can't. I've been told by someone, "Hey, man, like he came from another planet. It's hard for him to get accustomed to the human ritual." And so, wrestling is something that actually helps him because it is a pantomime of a larger human story being told through combat. So it's easier for Billy Corgan to understand wrestling matches, even though he's not really good at booking them. But I did get to talk to Nick Aldis, who is one of Billy Corgan's partners and married to Mickey James, who's one of my favorite women's wrestlers of all time. And I've before said that I think, you know, sometimes Aldis is pretty boring in the ring, pretty standard wrestler. But in that, I believe that there would be big money in Bussy versus Aldis and Mickey James because since they are traditional wrestlers, now she's outlaw country. He's more of a traditional wrestler. She's a wild child and was kissing the ladies. Go back and watch those Trish and Mickey segments from back in the day. So I do think that there is a place where that is an interesting match that draws money, but I am letting everyone know uh, Billy Corgan, uh, due to court order, is not allowed within 38 feet of me. 38 is enough because I still want him to be able to look at how hot I am and how big of a star I am, but I don't want to ever have to hear his voice. And so 38 feet is enough to keep Billy Corgan away. Uh, thank God the judge ruled in my favor because he kept speaking like this. And they said that was his original language, the Arkan language of the uh, great planet Espinas. So we're, we're hoping he gets, you know, it's a real conehead situation over there with Bill Corgan. And despite all of his rage, he's still just making a YouTube show. So calm down, bud. You're not, you're not up there. You're not up there with God yet. Let's get, let's get in the moment. It was good to see everyone there, but I'm not going to lie here. This is where I got to be honest, Peter. As fucking soon as I left that ring, I was out of that building. I didn't stay for any more matches. I didn't stay for the main event. Uh, and I'm glad I was wrong. I will admit it here. Effie admits he's wrong. Ric Flair survived that match. Ric Flair walked out of that arena on his own volition. Ric Flair was covered in blood. And in that moment, I was already uh, three hours away from the building. And I got to say bye to everyone, but I got to go back because there was one moment where I'm looking around going, I'm not supposed to be here, but I am here. And it works. There was a production meeting going on, and I was brought into the production meeting because I was uh, with Brett at the time. I don't know if they actually meant meant to bring me into the production meeting, but I'm in this meeting, and it's me and Brett and Conrad Thompson, who's promoting the whole affair, who is, I mean, he's the Switzerland of pro wrestling. This weekend, Conrad Thompson had 
AAA, MLW, Impact, AEW, WWE, Talent, all working on the same events, and nobody was getting pissy at each other. That's a fucking marvel of an achievement. Uh, New Japan as well. All the promotions are there. All promotions were working under Conrad, Jim Crockett promotions. It was marvelous to see what Conrad was able to do. But I know kind of all these people, so I'm looking around and I see David Crockett, whose father was Jim Crockett of Jim Crockett Promotions. Seriously, David Crockett? Davy Crockett. I, I think it's a, I, it helps to know that it's probably a worker name, but it might not be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Davy Crockett's I there. I bet it's David Crockett. So here's the production team. It's Davy Crockett of the Wild Frontier, Conrad, Tony Schiavone, Effie, Bully Ray, and the Road Dog. And then I look over and guess who's also there? None other than Dr. Tom Pritchard. Now, I pranked Dr. Tom Pritchard one time and he doesn't even... Uh, probably want to discuss it, but it was at a time where he was talking a little shit about why the gay wrestlers have to be so gay, and I'm sure he's come around to my side of things by now, but I had Dylan McQueen deliver an 8x10 signed by Effie in an envelope that when he turned it over to pull the 8x10 out, a bunch of Effie-branded condoms fell out on the floor in front of all his students, and there's a picture saying, um, uh, Dr. Tom, let me see that PhD. And he was producing the segment. So to know that these people have had interactions with me that have been uh, me being the forest nymph puck or whatever his name is that's real prankstery in Midsummer's Night Dream. Uh, now I get to see them face to face and shake their hands and go, what's up, bro? How you feeling? Because you don't scare me, motherfucker. We're on the same team and you're producing my shit now. It was incredible. And it was magic. And I was pitching things. And I felt like I was supposed to be there. And I just want to know that... I want everyone to know that I'm not eating that forbidden fruit yet. I'm not ready to go to TV. I think I'd be excellent at television wrestling. I think I'd be one of the best that ever did it. But now is not the time. The time for now is for me to continue the revolution. And as I was going home, here's what here's what's weird. I I don't want to I don't want to out anyone, but I do want to say this story real quick first. Earlier in the day, one of us, someone went up to one Ric Flair and asked if he wanted to smoke a blunt with us. <laughs> and that was the coolest, ballsiest shit I've ever seen in my whole life. But he said he probably shouldn't before the match. And we were like, yeah, yeah well. <laughs> so my brother texts me. He says, what are you doing? And I said, I, uh, I just left Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view that I was on. And he said, uh, I'm here with one of your fans. One of my friend's dads knows you and watches GCW. And I ended up FaceTiming this guy. And he said, you know, we talked a minute. And then I talked to my brother. And I don't talk to my brother that much. We have a good relationship. Love my brother. We have a different life. He's down in Tampa vibing. And I said, uh, I said, you've seen Flair down there in Tampa before, haven't you? And he goes, bro, me and Flair go to the same bar every week. I see him all the time. That dude drinks more than anybody. And I'm sitting here going, you know what? Even my brother knows the legacy of Ric Flair and and understands that this party outlaw guy can't live forever and can't do this. And that was very cool because it was like, he was like, call me. I've got a fan of Effie here. And I was like, what? And then we're talking about Ric Flair. And he's like, I see him at the bar. He's a party guy. Ric Flair did an article the day before that said he had not talked to a doctor since he got a yes. That he only ble- only wrestles good when he's bleeding, and he only bleeds good when he's hammered. And that was the interview he was giving to people, you know, the day before the match where everybody's like, so, sir, do you think your health will be uh, up to par? And he's like, now listen, I only wrestle good when I'm bleeding, and I only bleed good when I'm drunk. And they're like, all right, have you talked to any doctors? Not since they gave me the yes. 
And when you get the yes, you leave. It was incredible. Ric Flair was there. Got to see Charlotte Flair as well. Pretty crazy. I also got to see Man of the Hour Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is a future world champion. Ricky Starks is the guy to put all the eyes on, and Ricky Starks should be on TV. I'm just telling you that, Tony Khan. I don't care if you don't talk to me. I don't care about anything else. Ricky Starks is the guy. That's all I got to say. And I actually made it home. I got the car returned, and I was in my bed away from Nashville by midnight. Wow. And then something happened. I was awoken. And there was a little time in between. Now, I'm going to rewind a second because when I was leaving the building, my friends decided they would film me because I was like, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm not here for this shared experience. I love you all. What an honor. This is great. I got to return a rental car. They filmed me walking out of the building. I'm looking at my phone. I'll show you this video. It's incredible. And I've got my bag. I'm out of there. Like, I'm not focused on anything. And I get to a street corner. And who is there but the man who used to run WCW Nitro, Eric Bischoff. Big deal in wrestling. Lives in Wyoming now. Loves Coors Light. And he was on the phone. So I kind of head nodded and didn't say anything and kept walking. And they filmed that. And they were like, we wanted to see the meeting of the minds. We wanted to see what you would say to Eric Bischoff. Well, let me say this. I do not... Uh, I do not interrupt phone calls, especially for people that are famous. And I know that if I was on the phone and someone walked up to me, wouldn't be happy. So give people the space on the phone calls. But the video ends there. That's not where the interactions ended. Because I turned the corner, Peter. And who was there but the excellence of execution? The man himself, the hitman, Bret Hart. The hitman, Bret Hart, was standing there. He had his wife, his lovely wife with him. He was heading into the show. He was going to end up sitting with The Undertaker to watch Ric Flair's last match. And one thing I always notice about Bret Hart is he's uh, probably a little stoned because he likes smoking cannabis. It's legal in Canada where he is. And uh, he doesn't mind taking pictures with the fans, but I didn't want a picture. I said, Bret, I said, my name is Effie. I actually just wrestled on the show and ran out. I got to get home, but I wanted to say hello to you. And... In that moment, I said, there's only one thing I need to do. I need to do my Shawn Michaels impression for Bret Hart. And I'm going to stop you here and tell you, I didn't get time to do it. He was being bombarded by other people, but I'm going to do it here. So here is um, my impression of both Bret Hart, which I gave you a preview of, and Shawn Michaels. And they're going to be done one after the other. Here's Bret Hart. <clears throat> you know, if me and Shawn had cast our egos aside and sort of let wrestling be wrestling we could have had some great classics I don't feel like I would have been pushed away to go to WCW to have that dipshit Goldberg fuck up my career I think I probably could have saved my brother Owen a lot of things have happened and here's Shawn Michaels who the fuck's Brett I don't know oh that guy <laughs> I don't know him. and uh I think Bret Hart would have enjoyed that because it doesn't matter how the Bret Hart impression goes all that matters is that I cross my little eye and do the, do the voice where he doesn't know who Bret Hart is. And for folks out there who are saying, you shouldn't make fun of people with crossed eyes, okay? Let me be clear here. My eyes are going cross, folks. My curse is upon me. When I look at pictures of myself, there are just sometimes where I'm already, I'm already crossing the eye, okay? What happened to Shawn Michaels? God, God smited him down and crossed his eye. Cain hit him or something, and he got a cross eye from it, but he found a renewed faith in the Lord. He overcame addiction. Uh, he came back. He wrestled at WrestleManias, became Mr. WrestleMania with his cross eye. 
And so now I know that once my cross eye fully settles in, God will have forgiven me fully and I will be known as the greatest of all time. So, you know, even though it's something that I can do pretty freely, I have pretty easy eye access. My mother taught me. That was a skill she passed on from her great-grandmother, Olga Taylor. That's who I'm named after, Peter. Really? Pretty crazy. I know. Um, Good thing they went for Taylor, not Olga. Olga would be a lit name. Well, they were like, boy or girl, we're calling it Taylor. So it worked out, but they threw the William on the front just because there's William Jacob and William Jacob and then a third William Jacob and a William Carl and a William Hazel and now William Taylor. There's a lot of us. So, it, you know, it could have gone either way. Uh, I had a fun time in Nashville. I had my guard up more than I should. I did things professionally, like lose a championship. I got to meet a lot of people. I got to watch wrestling. And now I'm going to go back to where I was because by the time I got home, I wasn't checking my phone in the car. Sometimes AJ will call me on the phone in the car and he'll go, you're not supposed to be on your phone. Just as you know, just to make sure I remember, which it's a trick, but I like it. I like a little trickster. <laughs> and I got a message that says, check your Facebook. And it was a, it was a message that came right at 6 p.m. The message to me didn't come at 6 p.m. The message to this person came at 6 p.m. And it said, uh, it's got to be Effie. Give me Effie. And I'm going, does this motherfucker want to fight me for real? I said, hell yeah, I will fight that dude. He knows. Because John Moxley watched me all weekend. He watched me have a tag team championship match. He watched me watch him fight El Desperado at New Japan. He watched me, I'm certain, in the bunkhouse brawl where I did a what's up and got the people on their feet. And so now I'm going to fight John Moxley. At the time we recorded last week, I was told it was never going to happen. I was told it was impossible to happen. I was told to start thinking in another direction. Pussy may lose the belts, but they might be doing more tag matches anyway. But now it seems like uh, I've got to give it my all, Peter, because I have less than two weeks to prepare for this. Oh, it's happening in two weeks. This weekend, I'm in Fargo, North Dakota and Chicago, Illinois. By the time you check this, I'll probably have already wrestled in Fargo. And next weekend, I'm going to fly my ass to Denver Friday night, and I'm going to wrestle. And I'm going to fly my ass to New Jersey, and I'll be in Atlantic City to fight for the GCW Heavyweight Championship of the World against the man. And this is where people, this is where it fucks people up. And this is where people aren't going to know what to do, Peter. They're going to be so sick to their stomach. They said he's the AEW interim champion. While CM Punk is injured, he can't lose. He couldn't get a pinfall on him. He couldn't tap out. Folks, I've said it before. Effie is the asterisk. All of your plans have a big asterisk right on the end of them. Effie is the asterisk. What are you going to do? Are you going to call my boss? I work for GCW. I haven't signed any contract. I don't have a boss. I'm told to show up. I'm told who I'm fighting, and that's as much as I'm told. So, folks, remember the asterisks as you watch this match. The biggest match in my career will be happening in the Showboat Casino in Atlantic City on Saturday the 13th at 7 p.m. And we'll look at the chart after this. We'll get a good, a good visual of what's going on. But i got to be honest, Peter. They can be as mad as they want, and it will not change the outcome. Tony Deppin couldn't do it. Homicide couldn't do it. AJ Gray couldn't do it. Blake Christian couldn't do it. I watched that match again today. 
he carved his face up with a piece of glass so bad. Poor Blake Christian. But for those that know Effie, they know this. It's not that I don't take things seriously. It's that none of you are worth taking seriously. And I look at someone like John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, and you can go back through his career. There have been moments of great destruction, violence, and emotion. There have also been moments of playfulness and joking and having a pet plant and fucking with Chris Jericho and making a mess out of things with mustard and ketchup. The fact remains that myself and John Moxley are more similar competitors than anyone would like to admit. We don't take you seriously because we don't have to. And if we do take you seriously, we're going to fuck your life up. And so for the people that know, I don't have to explain myself. For the people who don't know, you're about to find out that I'm a sick motherfucker. I uh, felt the blood. I thought I was done with the blood. It doesn't scare me though, Peter. I'm not frightened of my own blood. I'm not frightened of being covered in cuts. I got my hand right here, still pretty cut up. My back's pretty fucked up too. I don't give a shit, Peter. And I will continue to not give a shit because my body is a vessel. I am a containment unit for something much bigger, much darker, much more powerful than what this flesh can hold. I am but a spirit bound by meat. And if that meat gets shredded up in the process, good thing it grows back. Good thing all I got to do is eat some chicken breasts and broccoli and rice and my skin will regrow or else they'll graft it from a corpse back to me. I'm not nervous. I'm not scared. And now is the time for Effie to be the world champion. And you know what? God, give me Punk too. He can come fight me if he wants to really defend his championship. I never got pinned as the, as the champion. Yeah, you got hurt, old man. So all of you, you can choose right now. And this will be a big moment in wrestling. I think they'll look back and be like, it's just like when Hunk Hogan slammed the giant man or whatever. August 13, 2022. I'm about to fuck people's worlds up. And I know that the light switch has already hit. I know it's already hit, Peter. The change has already been made. They're bragging about 2 million people watching Raw like we're fucking impressed. Boomers. My God. They still have cable, Peter. That's how they're measuring things. What does the Nielsen say? Yeah, wasn't Nielsen a 70s folk singer? Maybe we shouldn't keep using Nielsen as the way to standardize ratings. When Effie trends on Twitter, you know who's on Twitter? People from the world. When Effie trends on Twitter every goddamn weekend just by breathing and existing. You don't understand how to get ratings anymore. You don't even understand what the ratings mean anymore. And you haven't jumped into the new age. I've got a boat. I'm not letting everybody on. You better be nice. Because the shift happens now. And the shift happens at GCW Homecoming. And I'm going to go jump in the ocean after I beat that man's ass and win the championship, Peter. And that's all i got to say about that. we got some questions. Yes, we do. Was I fired up, Peter? I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for being fired up. I do want to say as well, I've had a great time talking with Renee Paquette. I have a good feeling I won't be allowed back on the podcast after this because I'm going to beat the shit out of your husband and the father of your child. All bets are off. You want glass, Moxley? All bets are off. I got to go fix my P.O. box. My P.O. box ran out of money, and it's my fault. Oh, did it? I got to go reconvene it. Because we have someone asking to send stuff to you. Give me a day or two. I got to go to the post office, folks. Okay. This first question is from Tony. Hello, Peter and Effie. My question this week is for Effie. When you go to the UK, will the show take a short vacation, or will Peter do a solo show? Well, okay. So 
I think the way we're going to work it out is with a rush job. And we're going to film an episode to be released while I'm in the UK before I leave. And then I get back from the UK before we would even be filming another episode. So I don't think there's going to be a lull. And I think we'll have a lot to talk about. You know, there may be a shorter episode that week before. I don't know. It's going to be crazy. But then uh, after that, the bigger question is, uh, for an unknown reason that hasn't been announced yet, I'm going to be gone for 10 days. And so there may not be an episode during that period. But as far as the Patreon stuff goes, there's going to be a lot more content for that coming up, especially with the global stuff. And as I get more comfortable with it, hopefully the Patreon is a success and I can fix my broken ass phone, which isn't very good at pictures and videos right now. But uh, until then, you're going to get what I have, which is a lot of cool stuff. And this week, I'm going to try to get stuff up from the fight wrestling princess daddy big baby uh extravaganza so a lot to look at there i i hope excellent i'm excited to see that i'm excited to talk about these foreign countries bro oh i can't wait this um, effie international is gonna be fantastic <laughs> okay this is a longer question from matthew dear effie and also hello peter can't wait for the bigger oh yeah this is someone who asked for uh, larger size prints, which will be happening as soon as I pull that together. Yes. Uh, my name is Matthew and I'm about to turn 30. In fact, I'll be 32 days before the GCW show in Charlotte. I can't wait as it'll be my first live GCW experience. I'm a married man and father of four wonderful kids, but I've got an undying love for professional wrestling and want to get into the business. And a funny twist of fate. I actually used to train about eight or nine years ago with your opponent in Charlotte George South, but, but stopped uh, after six months due to having my first child and wanting to provide a good quality of life for her. But my passion and desire have never went away. So my question is this. What advice would you give a man approaching 30 on getting back into wrestling? I'm 6'3 and 255 and could use some advice on dieting as such as what to, where to focus on uh, as far as uh, what to focus on with workouts. Uh, thank you. Love the podcast. Kisses to Lucy, Cranberry, and Bebop. All the love, Matthew. Bebop needs those kisses this week because he just had his nuts cut off. Aww. So he's not happy about that, but he's very calm. So I'm not that mad about it. I don't Excellent. know. I'm into it. AJ likes him a lot more when he's not running around in circles. So it works out. Um, here's what I said. The example everyone always goes to is DDP not actually getting into physical wrestling until he was 35, but he was around the industry a good bit before that. Uh, as you approach 30, remember that like it actually gives you a lot of advantages to come in as an adult. You're not going to get schemed as easily. You may not fall for tricks as fast. Uh, but as someone who is 6'3", you're a lot larger than most people. So you're not going to have to necessarily uh, practice certain things that some of the smaller guys would need to practice. I am very into hit workouts, sprinting, that sort of stuff. Um, for me, my match is only as good as my cardio. So if I'm not there for those ending moments where it counts, uh, the whole match can kind of feel like shit, even if it's really hot at the beginning. So you've got to make sure that you have cardio on cardio on cardio. And what I have found is I don't do a lot with heavyweight stuff because I don't ever want to get in a position where I'm like, I have to hit this PR and then I pull my shoulder or I mess something up. So it's a lot of, um, a lot of reps at lower weight. Uh, making sure I know which parts of my body need to work and making sure that like I'm a, I'm a thick dude in general, even though I'm less weight than I was when I started. And so I have to make sure that like 
all the muscles are there in even distribution because when you're picking someone up, when you're running around, when you're going up top, your core and your legs are just as important as your upper body and your arms. I've seen plenty of guys who are muscled up and look great and have been to the gym a lot, but they don't have that core cardio and they don't have that, uh, the extra backup little muscles that really make the, the unstandardness of the lifts kind of easier. I will also say that I'm of the belief now that like, if you're not getting into it to be the absolute best and you're just getting into it to like for an activity, like, you know, set, set your, set your, uh, set your goals at a certain level and don't get in anybody's way. And I've always been of the belief, John Davis said this to me once, which was like, you know, everyone can come be a wrestler, but unless you're in someone's way, who's actually a wrestler, which is sort of like, if this is just your playtime and like, I just feel good and I want to do something physical, cool. But when there's people who actually treat it like a career and do it all the time, don't take spots from them if they're coming in or coming up or uh, trying to get things across. You know, don't waste their time. Don't have a 20 minute match where, that sucks just because you wanted to be on the show and your mom showed up or whatever. You know, be mindful of those around you. Be mindful that it's a bigger part of a show and uh, don't get into it to prove anything to yourself. I. I think there are a lot of people still proving something to themselves in wrestling. And when you have that mentality, I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, it never translates correctly to an audience. You have to sort of be selfish and completely non-selfish at the same time. And selfish in that, like, I'm going to do the best things I do because they're good. But you're doing that in a, in a way of what is best for the show or best for the match or best for what fits in. I'm never going to have a moment where I'm like, if I don't get this move in, I'm not going out there because I have to do it for me. That the idea of uh, needing certain things to be done or needing to perform certain things that lets me know kind of right away, like you may not be in this for the correct reasons. And the correct reason is to sell tickets and gain excitement and fill your time correctly. And any other reasons than that, like it's, I can prove to myself I'm cool or I can prove to myself I can do it. It's going to end in disappointment because uh, you're the only person who can give yourself gratisfaction. Gratisfaction. That's a stroke song. I, I love it. I thought you came up with that. Is that a newer Stroke song? No, I think it was on uh, Angles, which was the album they recorded not together. They all were in separate studios across the country. I think I, I think that's where I fell off. I think that. it goes like this. Yeah, everyone was mad at Julian Casablancas in that moment. And then they came back together. And uh, I, think, I think Comeback Machine was after that, maybe. Comeback Machine was right after that. I think Comeback Machine was before. Was that. it before? I was it Comeback so. Machine and then Angles? Comeback Machine is the red RCA. Yeah, one. and they have Welcome to Japan on it. Yeah. Okay, so that was before, that and was then before. Angles, but then they all got back together, and I think that was the new album. What is that good? Oh my god, it's so good. Okay, but I it also lets that. me know, like, yep, it's Dad Rock now. Aww. But it's Strokes Dad Rock. But you'll listen to it and you'll be like, oh man, yeah, I get it. It's like it's, it's like finding out about the Goo Goo Dolls in, in 2003. You know, just kind of pat. You're kind of past the parts of of thinking it's a, a hip new band. Right. And this is a hip new band, The Strokes. And they're like, they've been around for 20 years. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm old. What am I going to do? Love the new one. Very vibed. You can't tell Julian Casablanca this is a 50-year-old. It's great. Didn't they play a, a particularly odd show in Atlanta recently? That's what I heard. I heard they had a really weird set list. They weren't including a lot of things. Honestly, whatever allows those guys to be in the same room together, uh, good for The Strokes. I love The Strokes. I could talk about the Strokes for a while here. The Strokes get me fired up. I need water. I've never been to a Strokes concert, and it makes me very sad because I've always looked to the attitude of Julian Casablanca as, as sort of a uh, the ethereal punk who could get along with anyone. Like he could show up at any kind of party. Like, oh man, it's a bridal shower, man, sick. 
I'm Julian Casablanca. I got a leather coat. Those New York City cops ain't too smart, are they? I love it. It's a deep cut. It's a deep cut. They took it off the album for the U.S. release. You got to get that on the foreign copy, which has the. Because it uh, was after 9/11, right? Yep. Wasn't that the thing? It. They recorded it before 9/11, and then the album released right after, and they're like, "You can't have this song on here." Because of freedom or whatever. That and uh, was it Spider Man Two that had the twin? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it might have been the first Spider Man. Oh, was it the first yeah. one? Vindicated. I am selfish. I am wrong. I am right. I swear I'm right. Swear <laughs> I knew it all along, and I am fine. But I am cleaning up so well. It was Dashboard Confessional. Remember that? That hurts a little bit. Good. Of how much I love that. <laughs> He's still out there doing his thing. Yeah, he look, he has a like full on beard now. It's really weird. Hey man, go for it. I saw him open for Third Eye Blind one time. It was lit, so lit. I saw them do an acoustic show at the Loft when I was in oh. high school. Was it really? Did people cry? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Oh my was god, a, I cried. It was a moment. So beautiful. The Loft moment. is a great venue. It is. We will be performing at Center Stage Atlanta on August twentieth. Peter, I got to get you out there. This is a. This is an inclusion in the weekend of weird stuff. And I just found out the match we're doing, chaos. Really? Guaranteed fucked up chaos. It was the last one was wild getting to see actual like light tubes come out and everything. Yeah, I think I'm gonna be bleeding a good bit at this one. I'm very excited. Okay, next question. Hi Peter and Effie. My question is for Peter. I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, they gave me all their birth data and everything. Is there something going on in my birth chart that's just throwing off my vibes? I've had good things happen, and then people give just shit on me right after. Honestly, it's giving me a headache. Uh, thank you, Stacy. Uh, also, Effie, I love you. Come back up north soon. Okay, so... Love you, Stacy. I got... I, I'm just going to... I wrote a whole thing out. Um, so, based on your birth data and everything... Uh, Capricorn rising and it's a day chart. So sun sign will resonate more because of that, but read your horoscopes for Capricorn instead of Sagittarius, uh, just because that's what they'll be actually written for. Um, you're in a first house perfection year and I use perfections as basically like a transit filtering system. So it shows like what's actually relevant and what's not. That's how we've pulled apart that you're dealing with old wrestlers once again after your birthday. Um, so if we look at your, so you're in a first house perfection year. So if you look at the first house, it's Capricorn. So Saturn is going to be the most prominent planet. And then you also have Mercury in the first. And so that you also have Mercury in the first. Ooh. Hey, Stacy. And so Mercury and Saturn are going to be your most active planets this year. Um, which those two combined is kind of like stop and go momentum. So that could explain the ups and downs that you're feeling as far as like good things happening and then stuff happening right after that's a little more negative. You also, because you have a day chart, Saturn is going to be your worst planet. So you're going to be getting hit quite a bit more with uh, Saturn related <laughs> stuff. It's the hose man. It's okay, baby. It's okay, baby. Little Lucy. Good guard dog. That was actually good because I said that wrong. Because you have a day chart, Saturn's actually uh, less bad. So, um, 
Saturn is in your second house that's hitting like money and financial stuff or like personal possessions or like things that are close to home. You're also your natal moon is in the second house. And so that's just going to be like intensifying the actual thing on your person uh, because the moon is a really good representative of the actual like person that's there. What mine is really funny. It's at the ninth, which is like the temple placement. So that's like missionary kid. Oh, it's really funny. Uh, Born to be the missionary's kid. And I also, I share it with my dad, which is interesting. Um, so this is like, basically because you have Mercury opposed that right now, the stuff is going to be a little bit more intense in about three weeks. It's going to let off. Uh, and then because Saturn's retrograde, it'll hit again around December 20th and then March of 23 next year, uh, all of this will start easing up considerably. Um, and just because Mercury is such a fast planet, I think that's some of the acceleration that you're feeling as far as a lot of this stuff happening. It's on such a quick journey just because it only spends about 23 days in each sign unless there's a retrograde. Um, it's currently in your ninth house, uh, as soon as, oh no, it's actually in your eighth right now. So there could be like a bunch of stuff with other people's possessions, other people's baggage or even stuff that like you've inherited from other people. Um, and then it's going to go into your ninth house. So expect something related into like long distance travel or maybe some kind of higher education or even something in like the spirituality realm. Um, and then it's going to go into your tent. So there's going to be some kind of like a change in status or career, but because it's going retrograde, what that'll probably mean is that there's one more thing that you have to learn before you can get on to that next level. Um, so watch Mercury and what it's doing as far as like the retrograde cycle and everything, because that's a prominent planet this year, you're going to have, you're going to feel retrogrades a little bit more intensely than everyone else's. Um, it does look like just from some other stuff that I looked at your chart that 2024, all of this stuff is going to bloom essentially. So it seems that like what you're dealing with right now is something that's really necessary before you get to some really good stuff. Uh, Jupiter, which is your best planet is going to fully come into bloom for you. Uh, once you hit that birthday. So essentially just like hang tight, you're going to get through it. And the reward for, getting through this period of time is like some of the best stuff as far as like what is happening in your chart and everything. That was really intense, Peter. Yeah. This is all I could think was this should be a Patreon tier. Get your Peter reading. <laughs> Stacy got the Peter reading today. What's your, uh, what's your Peter meter reading? And then just email me back if you have any questions about any of that. But um, it in general looks like just a period of time that you have to get through and then really beautiful stuff around the corner. I've gone through some periods of time, Peter. We've got a crazy August ahead. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fast. Okay, then, we have another email. I think that's my neighbor. I think it is, too. He's doing some hosing. He's very he's a painterly human being. Yeah, it's necessary. Hi, this is from Rick. Hi, Effie and Peter. Love the show. It's my official first thing to listen to on Friday mornings while working and slamming coffee. My question is for Effie. As you are a brunch slash breakfast lover, what is your ultimate brunch breakfast item or plate? 
Do you have any to try or know of a place that's good or not? For me, I judge on corned beef, hash, and eggs. If it is not good, I will not go back to that place again. Uh, Effie, you are fucking great. Thank you for being so cool when you came to San Francisco for GCW. I have some art to send you for my wife, and then they asked for the P.O. box. Yes, I need to re-up the P.O. box. Uh, I'm glad you said corned beef hash, because I was literally going to say it's based on the corned beef hash, the hash browns, and the pancakes. Everything else, secondary. If you don't have good pancakes and corned beef hash, I'm kind of not coming to your restaurant. There's a lot of good places with it. I'm not even always going to get the corned beef hash, but it's kind of like, I got to know it's there. I got to know that you know and understand that that's a breakfast staple. Uh, I've been lucky in finding a lot of cool places on the road, but the South, is uh, they've got really good corned beef hash. Now, I know corned beef is sort of a, an Irish New York tradition, but boy, we'll hash anything down south. We'll cut it up, put it in a can, and you could just heat it back up like Scrapple. You ever had Scrapple? No. Oh, man. I don't even know how to describe it other than like just the worst parts of a pig compressed into meat. Like souse? You ever have head cheese souse? No. Oh, man. They they boil the head down and get all the cartilage off of it, and then they congeal it into a loaf. And if you heat that up and let it pour on some toast, all wet and oily, it's about the best thing you could ever eat. Goodness. Yeah, I like weird meats, man. I like the awful. Awful and awful are homonyms, and I think it makes sense for a lot of people. But for me kidneys and brain and head and cheek and uh what what do they call it in uh what do they call the spanish tongue cabeza cabeza is that the or is that the cheek what's the tongue lengua la lengua la lengua is muy bueno it's the the good old-fashioned tongue meat now new yorkers will do a tongue sandwich pretty good too but yeah breakfast wise corned beef hash and pancakes are pretty the pretty telling signs of things to come. I, I did, agree with pancakes. I did see the Cracker Barrel page. People were really freaking out because they included impossible sausage and people were taking this as a personal attack. Like they're they're off the path. They wanted to be woke. But like think about if you're like your name's like Sherman and you're like 75 and your doctor's like, you can't eat real sausage anymore. It's bad for your heart. You gotta have this impossible sausage. And he like is happy that that Cracker Barrel's looking out for his heart health, you know? That guy can't feel attacked by that. It's good to have options. Stop attacking fake sausage, okay? Find out what's wrong with you. Find out what's not making your life feel complete and why you're voting for, you know, just hate speech. Why are you doing this? Over Impossible Sausage? Cracker Barrel? They were real mad when Cracker Barrel served beer, too. My stars, what would Jesus say? Nothing, he's dead. Y'all killed him. I feel like the beer would go perfectly with Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel and beer. Think about the fried catfish with a big old cold beer on the side. The Cracker Barrel light ale. I got pegged at Cracker Barrel. I saw that shirt. You saw that shirt? (laughs) I got tagged in that a few times. I loved it. Shout out Cracker Barrel. We won't abandon you. Okay. Uh, Twitter. If Evie could book a big gay brunch in pro wrestling heaven, what deceased talent would he have on the card? This is what is what a hard question. I mean, I guess like I would book Chris Canyon because he's a legend. I got to talk to Crowbar this weekend a little about Chris Canyon, and Crowbar even had a a line included in the video game he was in that said, "Is that is that Canyon stunt double about him?" Because he looks so much like Chris Canyon when they were performing. Uh, so yeah, Chris Canyon. I'm sure there's a hundred others I would love to have on the show. Um, but maybe maybe heaven doesn't need a big gay brunch. Maybe hell does. Maybe we book the big gay brunch in hell. 
I mean, the buildings are always hot already, so what's a little more fire going to do? Plus, I've always wanted to book an Inferno match. How else am I going to have that if it's not in hell? You ever seen an Inferno match? No. They put fire around the ring, and then you try to throw the guy into the fire? It's real intense stuff. Who would be in your hell match, then? Who would be in my hell match? Yeah. Well, we, we would have to pick people who were gay but did bad things because they were gay, right? There's some good gay serial killers. Oh no! There, there. I can't remember who it was, but there was one that I heard on a podcast, and he got caught because he just very casually had a bunch of dead bodies in his car, and it was just like rolling around as if they were like, you know, like your Shake Shack trash or something. Well, you got to get in the HOV lane, you know. I mean, you can't get in there without two or more, two plus. They'll pull you. George has even started pulling us. So I understand killing someone to get in the HOV lane, especially around four or five o'clock traffic here in Atlanta. My God, what are you going to do? Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people we can't book though, but you know, if we're doing it in heaven, we're booking Jesus. Uh, and that is because Jesus might've been a little gay, you know, all the research I've been doing of the ancient texts, uh, you know, has confirmed that maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus had some urges, you know? Who else has 12? Maybe he had 12 of them. (laughs) Maybe he had 12 men that followed him around in dresses. Maybe he walked on water because he didn't want to get his dress wet, you know? Who else is going to cater a party for 5,000 people except a gay guy? Let's let's put that into perspective. Straight people don't care about catering. I got Burger King. I need catering. Please. I don't know. I kind of non-answered this. Um, Here's the truth. I just I hope there comes a point where someone can take over for me in booking because there's no more mental anguish I feel than trying to book a show. There's no more mental like it is the hardest part of my job. I love getting able to do it. I love being able to put people on and give them opportunities and get them booked other places, but it is draining me. And maybe after Hollywood I'm done. Maybe Effie goes full Hollywood and walks away. We'll see. The the cheers of the people keep me excited. Uh but it's it's pulling a lot out of me to do this again and knowing it's less than a month away, or I guess it's right at a month away uh, as of Thursday. So on Thursday, we're one month away from Effie's Big Gay Brunch 5, would be 6 at this point, uh, and it, maybe, it needs to, maybe it needs a new management team. I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to die over this, you know? I can't wrestle all the best matches and have the best show. Like, I've got to leave room for somebody. Y'all got to stop being mid, though, and come up on top. Let's go. Stop being mid. Start doing your own shit. Someone else book a gay show. Please. Please, God, help me. All right. One last question. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? This is a tough. This is tough. I'll tell you what I had for dinner yesterday. I didn't have spaghetti sauce. I was like, fuck. What am I going to do? Because I told AJ, I was like, I'm making spaghetti. I was like, I don't want to go back to the store and get spaghetti sauce. But I did have Progresso tomato basil and a jar of chunky fire-roasted garlic tomatoes. So I combined those with some onions and more garlic and spices and made my own sauce. And it was incredible. And so I was was proud to be able to go back. There was a point in my life where I wasn't going to go to college. And I was going to go directly to culinary school. Uh, This was discussed heavily. And so there was a time in my life where I was cooking a lot, Peter. Like I was... I mean, like, I could have been Emerald Lagasse, I think, if I'd really put my heart into it. I believe it. But now I'm Effie Lagasse, and I still get to eat food, but I don't have to make it necessarily for everyone. And getting to see that my my food skill is still down there somewhere, and I can still whip it together like it's chopped, uh, it made me feel really good inside. So what's for dinner? I don't know. We'll see. But the spaghetti last night was perfect. A little ground turkey, garlic bread, fresh pasta. 
I know how to cook pasta, bro. I can, you gotta, you gotta trust that pasta water. 